If you will take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. I want to look at this message this morning. The Lord's put on my heart. I actually have preached a few times out of it recently at the church. And every time I revisit this passage, the Lord really impresses another thought on my heart. And I've recently been asking a lot of the faculty and staff and different people about questions about this particular passage of Scripture. And I appreciate Seth opening the door for us earlier this week. As he was in Matthew, I get to go to Mark chapter 6 and pick a different passage. But if you'll notice in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 45, Mark 6 and verse number 45, the Bible says, "...and straightway he constrained his disciples to get in the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida." While he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, and the wind was contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let us pray. Our Father, I love you, and Father, I thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Lord, for an opportunity to stand and preach your word. I ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and open hearts and receptive minds to thy truth, and Father, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that would guide this message to our hearts and lives and help us leave, Father, better Christians and better servants, more desiring to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at this text, we begin to see this is none other than the same passage of Scripture in Matthew where we examine and see the walking where Peter begins to walk upon the water. Now, I believe that is probably a marvelous miracle because I've, in my lifetime, I've never had the privilege to walk on water. I've seen many other people out in life, and I've never seen anybody else have the ability to walk on water. And so I look at it, and I marvel that somebody of a human nature, just like you and me, not perfect, not endowed with great spiritual abilities, yet by the power of Christ to do something which seems to be impossible. And I believe today that we have been all given the same opportunity to do what seemingly is impossible if we will by faith trust the will of God in our lives. If you will notice with me, we can look in verse uh, number 45 here and we will notice the men in the boat. I think it's important that we begin to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture that these men were men that experienced great things in their lives. They had seen the Lord do great works. And the Bible comes and tells us in this passage, verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the boat. Now, a quick reminder, I believe all of us here were in Bible college. I think we probably know who these 12 men are. But just for sake of reminder, I want to remind you as we begin, the Bible in Matthew chapter 10 tells us first it was Simon who is called Peter, then Andrew his brother and James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now think about that list of people. 
What had these men experienced in their lives? They had got to walk daily with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had got to see Him speak and ter- uh, do great miracles. They had gotten to know Him on a way that nobody else around that region had got to know our Lord and Savior. They got to see Him be examined by the religious leaders of their day and proved perfect according to every one of them. And so here's these 12 men, these 12 disciples, that the Lord has constrained them to get into the boat to pass under the other side. I mean, I believe this is the greatest crowd of people you could have on your side if you get the privilege to start a church or you get the privilege to pastor a church or go be a missionary on a mission field, you're going to want good men on your side. You're going to want men that have a great faith and that will support you in the work that the Lord has called you to do. And so I believe as you look at these 12 men in the boat, you find 12 men full of faith. I believe you find 12 men full of trust. They're willing to do what the Lord asks them to do because the Lord will ask us to do some things in our life that won't make sense. He's going to ask us to do some things that that go contrary to our normal will and plan in life. And the Lord's going to lead us and to have men of faith like these behind you that could see the same things they had will be of great support to you. One of the things I will encourage you about is the fact that we have good men and women in school with us that we can get to know and build a relationship with them because they will encourage you in the faith. One of the things that I can still remember to this day is some of the men that I met when I was in Bible college. Now, I came here in 1994. Not only was it a different dispensation, I mean, it was a different century. Amen. And so when we get to this point in life, I mean, I look back and I say, you know, the Lord gave me some friends that, you know, we realized we were friends then, but we didn't know what we would be in the future. Now, Brother Ogle and myself, uh, Pastor Ogle and myself, we were both, believe it or not, we were evangelist majors when we were in school, and we both ended up pastoring. How that happens? God does. Amen? That's how things like that happen. You end up doing things different than you ever anticipated in your life. I never saw myself pastoring. I was in class with people like, um, not with Dr. Beal, amen? He was a senior and I was a freshman. Amen? But I got to be around several of those other men. And Brother Hanky was in class with me, amen? And he was acing Greek back then. Oh, that's right, Brother Hanky's back there. Amen? And, and here I am, just like several of you, amen? I'm struggling to figure out, amen, just what Greek means. Amen. What is the Greek alphabet? And so the Lord brought us together in a friendship and a bond and a kinsmanship. Amen. That produces a faith inside of us. I'm saying today, you need to find some good men of faith that will stand with you through the trials and struggles of your life. Amen. You need those men on your side. And so as you look at this, yes, there's 12 men in a boat. These are the 12 disciples. Amen. But there's a decision that these men had to make. Now think about this. Amen. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's with them, just fed the 5,000. And he sees the multitude coming. And another passage says to take him and make him king. And as they're coming to take and make him king, he says, hey, y'all just trust me with this. Y'all get in the boat. I'm going to send the multitude away. I can take care of all this by myself. Amen. I need you to do one simple thing for me. Now think about this. How difficult of a task is it to get in the boat? Now I don't know about you, amen, but if you've ever gotten in a canoe from the river, it's not very easy. Amen. And so if you ever get dumped out, it can be a little more difficult. But in this case, amen, this was a fairly simple task for them. And so all of a sudden with this group of people, there's a decision that they have to get in the boat. Notice this. And he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. So here, here we are, simple instructions. Amen. The Lord will often give us simple instructions in our life to follow. 
Have you ever thought about it? At just how simple God's instructions are in our life? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, isn't it simple that we, that we can give, be given those truths inside the Word of God? Acts 1.8, but ye, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. What a simple command, just to be a witness. Amen. Uh, he goes on and tells his disciples, ye are the light of the world. I mean, it's like these are the simplest things. Just be what the Lord has called us to be, and you will do great things for God. And so as you look at this text, these men had a simple decision to make. Were, were, were they willing to follow the Lord? Would they trust the Lord with the direction He was going to lead them in their lives? Now, I believe there were some challenges to their faith. I believe these 12 men were educated men. I believe these 12 men were experienced men. The fact of the matter is, not only were they experienced, they were experienced in the boat. They were experienced fishermen. These men knew what the sea would look like. They knew the things that were facing them. And I personally believe, I mean, as you look at this passage, that the Bible would, is indicating that these men were constrained to get in the boat because they realized there was probably a storm on the horizon. Remember Peter and the others that were fishermen? Don't you think they knew what it was like to see a storm? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16, And he answered them and said unto them, When it is even, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, how can ye discern the face of the skies, but cannot discern the signs of the times? These men, I believe, looked out there and they said, Lord, I know that you want us to get in the ship, but Lord, don't you think there's going to be a storm that we face? Don't you think there's going to be a little trial for us to get through? And Lord, if this is a storm like it looks like it's coming, how are we going to get through this? And the Bible says, and the Lord constrained them. Hey, you know what? Just trust me by faith. Do what I've asked you to do. Believe what I've laid before you. Amen. And so not only do I believe that they knew that they were getting ready to experience a storm, I believe the Lord knew they would face a storm. So not only did they think there was going to be a storm, the Lord knew there would be a storm. And so if that's true, imagine this. God sends you in a direction, knows where you're going, and He knows there's going to be a storm waiting on you when you get there and, you're, and you face the storm. You're like, how am I going to face this? The Lord knew it was there. The Lord knew you were going to have to deal with that. I mean, He knew what deacons you were going to have to deal with. I mean, He knew what church members you were going to have to face. He knew when they were going to complain about the way that you preach. He knew some people were going to talk about how fast you talk. He knew that some of them would talk about how slow you talk. I mean, He knew there would be some of them that would get up and complain that you have too much of a southern accent. And others would say you have too much of a northern accent. And others would say, how in the world do you ever understand anything that He says? Amen. And so think about this. The Lord knows every one of those things that we're going to face in our life, and yet He asks us to do it anyway. And so this is an amazing passage to me. He's going to give them an opportunity, and He's going to remind them of some of the things that they need to deal with in their lives. And I just want to share a couple of passages with you. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, get this, and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Get that, amen? He's saying, you know what? When you're facing persecution, get excited about it. Be thankful for the storms that you face in your life. Count it all joy. Now think about that. Count it all joy. 
And when's the last time you were getting sick and you didn't feel good and the storm was raging about you and you're like, Lord, thank you for this. I mean, Lord, I didn't realize what a blessing this storm was going to be in my life. And Lord, today by your grace, I'm going to accept it and say, thank you for doing this to me. It's not easy. I still remember the first time I had my first heart attack. Just a great experience for me personally. I mean, and you say, how in the world do you have a great experience with a heart attack? I mean, well, simply it's this. I had been struggling for about two weeks with some chest pain and just discomfort, and I thought it was just regular reflux. I just thought it was a regular thing. And I was getting ready to go to Florida. My family and all were loading up. We were getting ready to go on vacation. And in the midst of this, we call my nurse, and my nurse says, you know, he, he could be having a heart attack. You should go to the hospital and get that checked out. Now imagine, I mean, what the, how more difficult things would have been had I went to Florida. I wouldn't have been with my doctor. I wouldn't have had their advice. I wouldn't have had their instruction. And yes, I went to the hospital and they determined that yes, he was having a heart attack and uh, we're going to send him off to Charlotte. We're going to uh, do this little procedure on him. And praise God, I didn't have open heart surgery. I mean, it would have been a lot more difficult. But hey, you know what? As I was going through that, I was able to sit back and say one thing. Lord, you know what I'm going through. Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I know this is your perfect will for my life. Amen. And I just began to trust God. Amen. And and yes, it was a storm. Yes, it was a trial. But it put me in a place where I had to trust God for what was going to happen with the outcome. In John chapter 15 and verse number 19, it says, And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Amen. What's he saying? He's saying that we know there's storms coming. The Lord knows there's going to be storms. And if you're going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to face the torrents of this world, if you're going to face the storms, you're going to have to realize that there's going to be some people that don't like you. They're going to not like you because you're a preacher. They're going to not like you because you're a Christian. They're going to not like you because they used to be you. And they're no longer you. You'll find out that some of the folks you sit in class with will no longer hold the same faith that you do. You're going to see them depart from the faith. And so as you do, what will that do to your faith? I believe as we look at this passage, we see the men in the boat, we see the disciples, we see their decision to get in the boat and they're willing to trust the Lord. We see the storm they face. But I want you to notice this. Not only do you see the men in the boat, you find a message to the men. The Lord gives them a message. And I I think, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that the message was simple. He constrained them to get in the boat. Get in the boat and pass to the other side. He wanted them to realize the significance of the journey that was before them. And He wanted them by faith to just accept what the Lord had told them to do. And the simplest thing we can do in our lives is simply this, to accept what God has called us to do and do it. I mean, and so if we just accept God's will for our life, all of a sudden it will produce the results God desires. I mean, and so taking that step of faith that to get in the boat and to realize the opportunity to go before them reveals to us the significance of uh, His instructions because they were simple. His instructions were clear. And it was a message, that, uh, the things they were getting ready to experience. He didn't convey to them what was going to be, they were dealing with. He just said, hey, get in the boat. You know, sometimes the Lord will send you in a direction and you won't know why He's sending you there. But God has a plan behind it. Remember John chapter number 4, I must needs go through Samaria. You see, He knew there was a woman at the well, but those disciples with Him didn't know that she was there. 
They didn't know what the Lord was getting ready to do. He's getting ready to lead a, a, a town full of people to the Lord. He was getting ready to bring forth a great miracle of salvation. But what did it take? It took disciples that were willing to follow the Lord when, they, when He led them in that direction. And it's going to require you and me to trust God and follow the direction that He's leading in our lives. When, when you realize this passage and He constrains them to get in the boat, it's important to realize that not only there was a message, there was going to be one missing when they got in the boat. When they get in the boat and He constrains them to go unto the other side, the Bible tells us that Jesus left them in the boat and He went and sent the multitude away. And then He went up in a mountain alone to pray. He sent them out there and He said, Can you do this? Can you do what I'm asking you to do? Knowing that it's gonna, you're going to feel like the Lord isn't there. You're going to feel like the Lord may have forgotten you. Imagine how long these men must have rode. How long these men must have toiled and to realize that Jesus was not with them. They had to make a decision, and that was they were going to go and do what the Lord had called them to do, and Jesus was missing. He was alone. He was alone on the mountain. He was there praying alone. I mean, and the disciples were alone in the midst of the sea. They were out there by themselves. I mean, and Jesus was doing what? I mean, and from a human standpoint, we would look at that and say, well, Jesus, all He was doing was praying. That's the most important thing Jesus can be doing. Remember, as the Lord was talking to Peter, he said, Yet if I prayed for thee. He says, Peter, I know what the devil wants to do in your life, but I'm praying for you. Know what? I'm on your side, Peter. Amen. And I know you're going to get through this, and I know you're going to experience some great things in your life, but here's the reality. He says, you know what? Jesus was over there praying. He was doing something. He was interceding on the behalf of all 12 of those disciples, and he's praying to the Father, I believe. He's saying, Lord, now I've, I've instructed these men. I've given them directions, and Lord, will you help their faith? Amen. Lord, I know this storm's going to be difficult for them, but I believe through faith, God, they're going to experience a great miracle, and you're going to do something marvelous. In their, in their life and they won't even understand it until much later on in life. And so imagine if you will, he is these men alone in the boat, Jesus is not with them and all of a sudden they, they face a storm. This is a mounting storm. It's a storm that's taking them by surprise. It's a storm that even though they anticipated that they weren't prepared for it I mean, and they forgot about something. These men as they faced the storm, they forgot about the miracles they had already experienced. You remember just before they got into the boat, the Lord fed over 5,000 people with, five, fish, or with um, five pieces of bread and two fish. Imagine what it must have been like I mean, as they're passing out all this food to uh, these people. I mean, here's five pieces of bread and we're going to feed the multitude with it. I mean, we're going to ask Marco to feed everybody in school today with five pieces of bread and two fish. I mean, don't you think Brother Marco would be panicking all of a sudden? I mean, I believe Brother Bunn would be excited. Amen. That'd be the cheapest meal we've ever had here at school. Amen. And so think about this. I mean, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And here's what he's going to feed 5,000 people with it and do something marvelous. I mean, and the disciples begin handing it out like, I don't know where this keeps coming from. Amen. We only had five and two. Amen. And all of a sudden, this multitude is being fed by this. And they're feeding 5,000 besides women and children. And the Bible says, and they all ate. So not only was there the 5,000 women and children, plus women and children, there were also the 12 disciples. And the Bible says, and they all ate and were full. I mean, it wasn't a snack that they ate. I believe it was a full course meal. 
I mean, I believe when they got up, they said, man, that was the best meal I've ever had. I am stuffed. I mean, after, like after Thanksgiving meal. I mean, you get up from the table and you're like, whew, I don't think I could eat another bite. I mean, here's these 5,000 people overfed, stuffed to the gills. I mean, and all of a sudden, what's going on in their lives? I mean, hey, the Lord says, hey, you know what? Now, now it's time for you to go home. Think here. I mean, these were full. They didn't realize the miracle that they had just experienced. And when they got done with that, I mean, they got done taking up, I mean, and feeding the multitude. They gathered up 12 baskets full. Think about that. He says, this is not only a miracle that I want you to enjoy, I want you to take some back home with you. I want you to remember the miracle that was just performed, and I want you to have just enough that every one of you, when you get out in the middle of the storm, when you get out in the middle of the sea, I mean, and when it comes supper time, you're still going to have some leftovers to enjoy in your life. I mean, he was given, making sure they had plenty. And so here's some of the miracles that they got to enjoy. They got to enjoy the miracle of the 5,000. They got to experience the raising of Jairus' daughter. They got to see the woman with an issue of blood healed, if you will, by accident because she snuck up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his garment. I mean, Jesus didn't go there just to touch her and heal her. I mean, it seems like it happened by accident. Always according to the plan of the Lord, though. I mean, and so if you will, think about this. Here's these men with the miracles they experienced, and as they're facing the storm, they've forgotten all that God has already done in their lives. Be careful not to forget what God has called you to do when you face the storms in life. Don't forget what God has already done in your life as you face the storms in life. Because if God was able to do it before, He's able to do it again. There is no limit to what God can do. There's no limit what God wants to do in our lives. And so let us realize that the miracles God has done before in our lives is a message that God will do it again if we will by faith trust Him to perform those miracles. And let God do a great work in our lives. And so think about this. There was the miracles that these men experienced. And they, as they're out there, amen, they're out there on the storm. They're out there in the middle of the sea. And they're facing this, the reality before them. And Jesus is not in the boat with them. They're just remembering the miracles the Lord had performed. They're just out there serving and going forward, trying to do the next thing that is required of them. And as they go forward, the Bible tells us there was a mounting storm that they would face. Notice with me. In verse number 45, the Bible says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on land, and he saw them toiling and rowing. And I love that term, toiling and rowing. I mean, what it means is that when these guys got out into the midst of the sea, they had worked. I mean, they weren't sitting idly by. They said, you know what? The Lord's told us to cross to the other side. He said, I believe, I mean, they entered into a sailboat and they got out there on the sea. I mean, as they began to depart from shore, they said, you know what? The wind's not blowing, so we're going to have to do something. What do you do when the wind's not blowing? Start rowing. Amen. You get two choices, sit still or row. I mean, and these guys said, God has asked us to do one thing. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do this, and I want to do what He'd have me to do. And so I'm going to put my best effort forward to serve Him. And so every one of them gets in the boat. You got six on this side, you got six on this side. Each of them grab an oar and they begin to row. And all of a sudden they're making a little headway. They're getting, they're, they're making some progress to the point that the Bible tells us that they were 25 to 30 furlongs from shore in the midst of the sea. If you will, they were about three and a half to four miles in the middle of the ocean. Out in the middle of the ocean, all of a sudden are in the middle of the sea. And as they find themselves in the middle of the sea, after laboring, after putting everything that they've got, I imagine if I had to row three miles, I would be kind of tired. 
I'm just throwing a little guess at this. I mean, I'm assuming that if we could get 12 men together, now that would be a miracle in itself, 12 men to agree on one thing and row in the same direction. Amen. Imagine if you were to get 12 preachers together in the same room and, get, and ask them all to agree on something. Amen. What's the best thing we should do here? Amen. Well, here's what the Lord said. Let's go to the other side. Well, I can imagine, if you will, some of them are saying, well, you know, I, I, I want to row on the right side. What, the right side's already full. Why not take the left side? Well, because I'm more comfortable on the right side. I mean, that's what we, happens when we get to church. That's what happens when we get in, in, in the uh, auditorium. I mean, we got to get to our side now, don't we? I got to get in my seat. I sure would hate it, amen, because I wouldn't know what to do in church if I didn't have my seat. I mean, how confusing would that be? I mean, he wouldn't know who, know who to call on to pray because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I mean, oh my goodness, it's going to create such chaos in church because my seat's gone. I mean, and so here's these 12 disciples in a boat grabbing an oar and getting ready to row. I mean, and some of them start rowing backwards and the others begin to row forward. You say these things don't happen. It happens every day in church. I mean, somebody's going to have one plan to go one direction. Somebody's going to want to go a different direction. And that's why God gave us pastors. So that he can bring some order to the chaos. So that we can bring the direction that God would have us to go. And that would lead us in the right direction. And so as you do, you begin to notice these men in the midst of this storm, struggling in the fact that they're trying to row to get to the other side. They finally get everything together, and they're all now rowing in the right direction. And they've rowed, and they're about halfway across the sea. And all of a sudden, a storm begins to mount in their life. Not just a little storm. The Bible tells us, I mean, the wind was contrary to them. In other words, the more they rowed, the harder the wind blew against them. And so you're putting out your best effort. You're just pushing that oar forward uh, time after time after time again. You've done it for three and a half miles now. And your arms are getting a little weary. Your back's getting a little weary. And all of a sudden there's rain beating you in the face. And the wind's blowing you backward. And with every stroke you make of the oar, it seems like you're going further backwards than you were going forward. These men, I believe, were at the point of exhaustion. And at the point of discouragement, they had begun to realize that there was a storm that was mounting in their life and its impact was devastating. But yet in all that these men were facing, that they were not only were there's the impact of the storm and in the midst of the sea, their intention was to simply, I just want to keep serving the Lord. You see, these men at this point had not seen the Lord. At this moment, they didn't have Jesus in the boat with them. At this moment, Jesus, to the best of their knowledge, was still on the shore. And when they arrived in this storm, and as the storm began to raise up against them, all of a sudden, Jesus was no longer on shore. All of a sudden, something had begun to change. Something was now transforming. And as they were out there rowing off in the distance before they even realized it, Jesus was on His way to meet them where they were in the storm at. And sometimes we forget the reality that if God has called us to this place, if we face this storm, that the Lord said He will never leave thee nor forsake thee, and that He will comfort us through the trials. He will strengthen us through the storms in our lives, and He will help us go forward by faith. And so these men are out there laboring, they're out there rowing, they're exhausted. And then in the midst of everything with a mounting storm, they see a mystery on the horizon. What is that mystery? It is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible begins to tell us here as we look in this passage once again, I mean, as they were out there rowing, verse 48, and he saw uh, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. Now imagine, amen, the storm's raging, and Jesus is just walking by. And what does it look like to them? He's forgotten us. 
and he's going to pass us by. This doesn't make sense to me. And yet the mystery was is the Lord was trying to increase their faith. The Lord was trying to put them in a storm that would require them to realize that, they, that their faith needed to increase. I believe the Lord was praying on the shores. I've already said He was praying for their faith to increase. And so as they're out there rowing and toiling, the Lord's encouraging them to keep going. I mean, in the struggles in our life, we'll increase our faith if we by faith will trust the outcome to God. And these men begin to see the mystery. They begin to see Christ coming by them. And what happens because of it? The Bible tells us in verse 49, But when they saw Him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. A little bit of fear. A little bit of discouragement. All of a sudden, their hearts are now trembling inside of them. How are we going to go forward from here? What is the opportunity for us? I mean, and all of a sudden, this mysterious being walking on the water is making its way out here. Now, I don't know, I mean, if, 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 but imagine what it must have been like if you were in the middle of a storm and darkness is all around you, the wind's blowing against you, the waves are lapping against the ship, I mean, the rain's beating you and pelting you in the face. I mean, and all of a sudden you see a light coming across there and there's no boat under that light. And, 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 and you just look and you're like, well, that looks like a person. Who... How is this possible? Well, it's possible if it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible because everything's beneath His feet. Amen. He can just do it. Amen. And so as you look at this, there's this mounting storm, the mystery they see. They see this mystery of this one walking on the water, and they begin to cry out. They're like, oh, how am I going to get through this? And you're going to face the same thing in storms in your life. When you get into the ministry in the next couple of years, I mean, when you get an opportunity uh, to go out there full time and in the ministries that you're working in right now, you're going to face some things. You're like, how am I going to do this here? Don't, doesn't everybody know that next week we have midterms? Don't, don't they know just how difficult this is going to be? Well, the one fact I can promise you is that the faculty and staff that we have here is yes, we know. We've gone through the same trials. We've gone through the same struggles. We knew what it was like I mean, to, to um, try to raise a family and have children and all while going to Bible college and, and just to know what the difficulties of the job were and how hard it was going to be to go forward while trying to find an opportunity to serve the Lord in our local churches. I mean, and then to fi find opposition in the midst of all that. How were we going to go forward? We realized that God was going to have to help us. And you're going to have to learn in your life that there's times where you're going to have to let God help you. You're going to have to let the Lord become your strength. And here's these men. They're out there. They're seeing the mystery. They're seeing this one walking on the water. But this is the thing I really wanted to get to this morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. Remember how many people we had in the boat? It was 12, right? The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't in there. When He gets in the boat, they're going to have 13. But in Matthew chapter number 14, something happens. In Matthew chapter 14, I want you to notice... As Peter begins to respond uh, in verse number 28, and the Bible says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. One man, one man had a different motivation in his life. One man believed that he could do something that none of the other 11 in the boat believed could be done. He had enough faith to believe the Lord Jesus Christ and to offer it as a question. If it be thou... 
Bid me come unto thee. Hey, you know what? I know you said you're the Lord, but if you are the Lord, I can do amazing things through your power. I can do something greater than humanity can ever understand. I will be able to do something that everybody else says is impossible. You can't trust God. God can't put the food on your table. God can't provide for your financial needs. God can't take care of your wife as she's sick in the, at the hospital. I mean, she, God can't take care of your husband I mean, as he's in the hospital and had a heart attack. Oh, yes, God can. God can do even greater things. But what's it going to take? Somebody that says, you know what, I believe God can get me out of this boat and let me step out on the water. There was 11 people in that boat that were telling Peter, Peter, don't be stupid. You'll never do it. You can't build a church here. Don't you know where we live at? Don't you know how Catholicism has taken over our land? Don't you know what Mormonism is and how it controls the region that we live in? I grew up in a town called Laudy, Florida. Down in, and the church I went to was in Stark. And there was a missionary that was out of that church that went out west to start a church. I mean, and he did. He got out there on the Indian reservation and began to start it. And the Mormons hated him. Matter of fact, the Mormons had him thrown in jail. Persecuted in the United States of America. I mean, and, he, and so everybody said, you know, don't you know what you're going to face when you get out there? He says, no, not really. I don't know what I'm going to face, but I believe this is what God wants me to do, so I'm going to do it. I mean, and he went out there, he started a church about 15 years ago. I had the chance to go out there and visit with him and preach for him and had a wonderful time while we were out there seeing the work that God had done. I mean, I want to tell you this morning as we look at this passage, sometimes it takes a man that's willing to do what nobody else thinks is possible to embrace the reality that we can do great things with God. I can do, remember this, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Imagine that, I can, not that I might. Or not that I should, but I can. It's like he's making a statement there. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in response to Peter's question, get this, I mean, as you look in Matthew chapter 14, again with me in verse number 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be, th if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Notice the answer. And he said, come. Now I pose this question to a few people. And I want to pose it to, to y'all this morning. Did the Lord Jesus Christ say, Peter, come? No, he said, come. Now, so here's what, I, here's what I believe he said. If you've got enough faith to get out of the boat, even if you're not Peter, I'll help you do it. I believe the command was so powerful that all of 12 disciples could have got out of that boat and walked on water. I believe that. Why? Because if the Lord had not said, Lazarus, come forth, I believe everybody in the graveyard would have gotten up. You see, there requires here a great step of faith. Amen? And the Lord put no limitations on only Peter can do this. He says, it's, it's by faith. If you will trust me, I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you will trust me and be willing to get up out of your seat, amen, and imagine what it must have been like as all, they're all, all 12 of them have been out there rowing and Peter stands up and everybody says, Peter, don't rock the boat. You're going to hear some people in your, in your Christian faith, don't rock the boat. Hey, things are going good right now. Don't change the direction we're going. Don't you know what's going to happen? And so Peter, sit down. You're scaring me. Well, I would much rather be scared in serving God than I would be complacent doing nothing for God. And so this morning as you look at this passage, yes, there's a miracle that they experienced. I mean, there's all the past, but there's a miracle they're getting ready to experience that will take their breath away. 
Imagine what it must have been like as Peter took the opportunity to get out of the boat. Amen? And so Peter issues his question. So the motivation of one man was that he would get out of the boat and though nobody would join him. And Peter gets up out of the boat and he gets out there and he begins to walk on water. And let's be careful that we don't kick too hard against Peter because he began to sink because he still walked on water. I mean, Peter did something that I just wished I could do. I mean, I, I, when I grew up, I had an aunt that lived on the lake. I mean, and we would go over to her house every so often in the summer. I mean, and, and every time I would jump off the dock, I never once landed on the, on the water. I always went through of it. Maybe it's because I weighed more than others. I mean, but the reality is, that I believe every one of us, if we jumped off the dock and we hit the water, we're going, we're going down. I mean, so here's Peter walking on water. How far did Peter make it? I mean, I mean, I'm sure we've got some folks in here that have studied the passage of Scripture. I mean, and we know what's going on here. How far did Peter make it out of the boat? Did he make it one foot, two foot, three foot, 15 feet, 20 feet? We don't know. But what we do know is he took more than one step. You see, Peter made more progress than the other 11 in the boat getting to Jesus. Peter was the first one to experience the hand of God in his life because the Lord reached out and saved him. You see, it's by that faith when we take that step that God will show Himself faithful. That God will do it and He'll do a mar marvelous work in our lives. And so Peter had one question. Amen. So the motivation of one man, he said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. And the, the Lord, and so Peter had one quest. Amen. I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to walk. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to trust the, the Lord. Amen. I believe this is Him. I trust what God's called me to do. And so I'm going to do it. And I believe the mission of the Lord was single. I believe the mission of the Lord was powerful, and I believe the mission of the Lord was to produce something inside of each one of them. And if you will look with me at Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 31, I want you to notice this. And immediately Jesus stretched forth His hand and caught Him and said unto Him, O thou of little faith. What if the Lord was saying, Peter, I know you've got a little faith, but I want to increase your faith. Remember in this passage, somebody tell me real quickly, how many people were in the boat? 12. How many people did he say to them, oh, ye of little faith? One. Do you think that's because he said to the others, implying to the others, you didn't have enough faith to get out of the boat. You're not willing to take that step of faith and believe me. And so to the other 11 in the boat, it's like, you didn't have any faith. Imagine if it was, if it was you know, I'm sure Peter was a little discouraged, oh, ye of little faith. I'm sure there were some on the sideline. What do you mean the little faith? He got out of the boat. And so here's Peter getting out walking on water. And the Lord says, oh, ye of little faith. I want to remind you. The Bible tells us, he says, if ye have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast into the sea. Into the sea. I want to remind you that if we can trust God, if we can believe Him, if we know that we can do the will of God, the mission of the Savior will be simple. He will do great things in our life. He will increase our faith. You will end up serving God in ways you've never imagined possible. Why? Because the Lord will increase your faith one little step at a time, one little seed at a time. And before long, you're going to have a lifestyle behind you where you've seen those seeds of faith planted and you're going to look back and you're going to say, every one of those trees in my my past now are simply a testimony of faith and watching that mustard seed grow by God's grace. 
What will it be like when you get out there and you look back and you can say, you know, I remember when God paid my school bill. I remember when God put the gas in my car tank. I mean, I remember how God gave me strength to get up when I was sick and didn't feel like going on. I remember what it was like when my friends forsake me and nobody was with me and the Lord said, hey, you know what? Go on anyway. I mean, and I can look back and say, hey, God's done some great things in my life. But you'll never do one great thing if you don't first exhibit a little faith. And trusting Him. Peter exhibited a little bit of faith. And the Lord took that and prospered with it. Look back with me in Mark chapter number uh, 6, please. Mark chapter number 6. And I want you to notice this. In Mark chapter number 6, as we get back to the end of this passage, the Bible says in verse number 49, But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Notice that he comforted them. He cared for them. Amen. And he goes on, verse number 50, And he went up into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed themselves beyond measure and wondered. Amen. All of a sudden, what happens? Jesus gets in the boat with them. If we, go to the, if we go to another passage, we went back to Matthew, I mean, we would see that they were on the other side now. Jesus gets in the boat, and the Bible doesn't tell us any more about them toiling and rowing. It doesn't tell us how the wind was on their side. It just says that they made it to the other side because Jesus got in the boat. You see, one man was motivated by faith to get out of the boat, and when he got out of the boat, imagine the impact it made on the other 11 that were left behind. Peter's faith, because of this, was able to stand before the multitude in Acts and see over 5,000 saved in one day. I believe this was just a step in Peter's life of watching his faith grow and him becoming the leader that they needed to have in their lives. And so today, where's our faith? Do we have the faith to trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we have the faith to simply just say, Lord, I know that this may seem like an insignificant task, but God, I believe it's possible today with you. Lord, will you help me increase my faith? Yes, here we have 12 men in a boat, but only one man was motivated enough to get out.